0: Welcome to the 98% Life After Prison podcast. Did you know that according to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, that close to 98% of the people incarcerated in this state will eventually be released back into our communities? That's more than 22,000 people a year.
1: We're going to explore many hurdles returning citizens are forced to navigate when they're released from prison in North Carolina often with few, if any, resources. Through stories of those who have successfully integrated into society and those who have been recently released, we'll discover why it's so hard for the formerly incarcerated to deal with the basics of life, things like getting a driver's license, opening a bank account, or finding a safe place to live.
0: Our goal is to give voice to people who are rarely heard from in our society. Through their experiences, We'll examine what it means to truly give people a second chance, and more important, why that matters. But first, we want to introduce ourselves. I am Judy Van Wyk, and I'm a longtime volunteer and advocate for criminal
1: justice reform. And I'm April Barbara Scales. I'm formerly incarcerated. I'm someone who went to prison at 15. I spent over three decades behind bars, and now I'm here to share my experience and advocate for those who are still fenced in. Fifteen
0: years old, that's awfully young to be sent to prison. How did that come about, April?
1: Well... I had a boyfriend when I was younger and, uh, of course, madly in love as all 15-year-olds were. And fast forward, uh, it got me uh, two consecutive life terms. So I was actually not eligible to even see the light of day um, until a minimum of 40 years.
0: 40 years. How did you navigate the, that time in prison? How did you find hope?
1: Well, hope is something that uh, kind of ebbs and flows in prison. Some days you wake up with it and some days you don't. Um, I did get in trouble a lot, um, as all 15-year-olds and teenagers do. But at some point, I decided to just go to school, educate myself and, you know, get out of trouble, uh, stay, keep my nose clean. In hopes to stop fighting with each other and start fighting the system to obtain freedom.
0: And I understand that um, you're a bit of a celebrity because you are one of only three people who have had their sentence commuted by the governor. Can you tell us about that?
1: The governor decided to put a committee in place called the JSRB, which stands for the Juvenile Sentencing Review Board, and their committee who started evaluating juveniles who were sent to prison um, under the age of 18, who were sentenced as adults. And with that long, uh, drawn out process and vetting hundreds and probably thousands of people, we were able to be released um, uh, just seven months ago.
0: That's extraordinary, actually. I mean, it really is an extraordinary feat to have been singled out like that. Do you know what it was that set you a- apart from all the other people who were considered?
1: Um, I think the fact that I actually decided to apply the skills and education that I obtained behind bars. Um, a lot of advocates who uh, I encountered in my life that thought that uh, coming to prison at 15 and being sentenced to, to life basically um, was just unfathomable. So between that and just uh, good behavior, I, I think is one of the reasons why I was even considered for this opportunity.
0: So you told me that one of the things that you did in prison was you always planned for the future. Can you talk to me about that a little bit?
1: Prison is um two things. You have a physical structure and you have a mental structure. Some people who are in the world are imprisoned in their mind. I always tried to put my mind where I wanted my butt to be. And so with that being said, I educated myself. I read the newspaper. I watched the news and I talked to people who were coming and going in prison to try to see what I needed to Um, obtain knowledge-wise to see who perhaps I need to write that would potentially look at my case and and just advocate for me and give me a second chance. Very cool. And you made it happen. You actually made it happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't say, you know, that I made it happen. I think it's a collection of wheat. You know, a lot of my advocates that I affectionately call the A-team say that, you know, uh, they didn't know that I existed until I contacted them. But after they knew that i existed they jumped on the bandwagon and a lot of them still remain in my life to this day
0: that's really wonderful and i understand you're also married
1: yeah i have a wonderful husband who i met um about 12 years ago i was in a service club one uh, visitation we were taking pictures And uh, he was visiting a family member. Uh, He asked who I was. We started writing. And about a year later, we uh, got married and we've been married ever since. What's his name? Well, his name is William Thomas Scales. But, of course, he's affectionately known as Tommy to most and hubby to me. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to hearing from him. Yes, he's an angel. There are a couple of angels that I've met walking on earth, and he's definitely one of them. And Judy, so uh, you do a lot of volunteer work. Um, Where do you volunteer and uh, what do you do? Well, I've been
0: working um, with a reentry house. Um, It all started, well, actually, it all started when I met William Elmore at a screening at Ava Ferney's 13th, which is a film about the prison industrial complex and how it's a form of slavery in this country. It's an extension of slavery in this country. And Will got up in front of the audience afterwards. He had been out for about a year. He spent 24 years in prison. And he asked if anybody was interested in getting involved in reentry. And I went up to him afterwards and said, yeah, tell me about this. And over the years, I started to get to know him and his partner Tommy Green they work together really helping people who are getting out of prison helping them to reintegrate and to navigate some of those hurdles that that people face coming out of prison anyhow um, that's how it all started and we've been working together kind of informally and formally at this house and I've just become really passionate about this issue because there's so many people in this society who are thrown away, and that's a real loss to the to the society. That's really a loss to our community. And um, the other thing I think that is my entryway into this subject was that I went through a decade of nonstop surgeries. I went through eight surgeries in 10 years, and um, it became my life for a long time. It was very difficult not to identify as somebody who was broken. So in a certain way, I know what it's like to have to rebuild and to find a new identity after going through something like that.
1: Well, not only do you have this house, you also volunteer somewhere else. Can you tell me a little about that?
0: Well, yeah, I do volunteer at Orange County Correctional. Um, there is a group, and it is a Christian group called Yoke Fellows, and um, they are allowed to enter the prison every Tuesday, and it's called the Listening Ministry and basically, we just get to know the guys who are inside. These are men who are, who are in an honor-grade prison who are going to be released. And it's just really good for them to be able to meet people from the outside. And it's good for us to understand their struggle and to, to really meet them one-on-one as, as human beings. And as equals. And I really enjoy that work.
1: We definitely need more people to listen to us. That's one of the things that we don't have on the inside. We don't listen to each other because we're constantly screaming. The guards don't listen to us because they're just constantly trying to tell us what to do and not rehabilitate us. So those of us who have been incarcerated definitely appreciate all the advocates doing whatever it is that they do on the outside.
0: Well, we do what we can. And
1: um, the thing is, I really enjoy the work.
0: And the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because there's so many stories, and I just wanted to share all these stories with an audience. And one of those stories is the story of Anthony Willis, and he had his sentence commuted with you. So um, can you tell me just a little bit about who Anthony is and set up this bite that we're going to hear?
1: Well, Anthony Willis was a teenager. His case was reviewed like mine by the Juvenile Sentence Review Board. I'll let him tell you about um, his story, but he gives a wonderful take um, of how he navigated through prison. And what he's doing with his life since incarceration. So speaking of listening, I hope that you all will tune in and be listening to us next time on the 98% podcast, Life After Prison.
0: And here is Anthony talking about his biggest hurdles when he got out of prison.
2: One of my biggest disappointments was whenever I failed my driving test. Mm. That was like a wow. big gut punch because I had so many things planned, but they were all based on this one event. Because if I get my permit or get my license, then I can get my car, then I can go to job interviews, I can do different things. But the day whenever I went and I missed that sixth uh. question, you only miss five. I felt like crying. So that was like one of the biggest things. But then I went back the very next day to another um, DMV and I aced it, mm. the test. I stayed up all night studying. <laughs> then the very next day, I went to another place and I got my license. Mm. So I went from failure to my permit to my license in literally three days. Yes. So, um, But that's like one of the biggest hurdles. But another hurdle I would say that I faced was... Um, just trying to find out what I want to do with my life. Because coming out of prison for 26 years, I want to do everything. Mm. And there's so many barriers that's in the way because of my background. Um, housing probably one of the biggest hurdles. I found a lot of houses that were vacant, but the first question to ask is, we're going to do a background check. And as soon as I told them I was recently released from prison, they said, well, you don't qualify. Uh-huh. They said, or you can give me a processing fee, then I still tell you, you don't qualify. Uh Uh And that was like one of the biggest hurdles I could think of.
0: In our next show, we'll hear more from Anthony and April about what it's been like to rebuild their lives after spending their formative years behind bars. We'll also hear from a gentleman who was sentenced to juvenile detention when he was just 14 years old. Tune in next week for a second episode of the 98% Life After Prison.